Welcome to Who Watched the Watchmen. My name is Matthew Carroll. I'm Jason Goss. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. I am so happy about this finale. Oh, I was solidly entertained. Uh, me too, and even more than entertained, I wasn't sure they could stick the landing as solidly as they did. It, the fact that it's Lindelof? I... You know, it was the one thing I was dubious about. Hey, is he going to do anything? Yeah. going to end it? Is he going to give us enough to feel good about it? Or is he going to just leave us hanging out? I mean, he's, he's done that with some other shows. I was happy I was happy and sad to hear that he basically is happy if this is the only story he gets to tell in this universe. I mean, that worried me a little bit when I heard that news originally. Right. Well, as it, it worries me in the sense of what's season two, three, but... It, it made me feel really good about the finale for season one. I was like, uh, if he's happy to end it here, he must have had this end in mind. And from all the interviews I've read, which I read a, I read an interview today that was like, now that you've seen the finale, here's an interview with Lindelof with spoilers. And it was really interesting. There's some really interesting stuff in that interview. I saw a couple of things in there, but didn't get to completely look into it. The uh, I did see him also say, hey, we're going to answer most of your questions and some stuff is going to be on the table. Definitely paraphrasing that, but yes, he did say a few things. There were a few questions where he was like, "No, we're not going to get into it." But uh, I'm not going to answer that. Like, just straight up said, "I'm not going to answer that." And one of them really frustrated me actually because it I don't understand it. Uh, I'll just say the horseshoe. Uh, I don't feel like the horseshoe was reasonably explained. (laughs) Right? I haven't thought about it yet. It. how can you not? I've thought about it so it's so much. The horseshoe. Well, man, I just horseshoe. finished watching. That's true. I literally finished watching. Yeah, twenty five minutes. I, ago. Probably took me a couple hours before I thought about it and went, "Wait, the horseshoe made no fucking sense." I agree. The horseshoe's a thing. All right, let's uh, let me let me that, let me let that will turn in the back of my head and yeah, we'll go to the next yeah, thing and see free. if something comes I, up. I don't know that there's a good answer for that. Uh, but uh, okay, so this episode, it, it what's your what's your biggest takeaway from season finale of Watchmen? Well planned. Yeah. I'm with you. Like A lot of moving pieces, a lot of twists and turns, and, uh, you know, I, I get it. Some people are more dubious about Lindelof because he can do that thing where he's so twisty and turny you can't tell what's happening anymore. And this one, man, I mean, it all it all made sense. It was mathematical almost in its proportions and its, its execution. It, you got to the end of the story and kind of... I did. I got to the end of the story and a lot of the characters, and we can go through them by character if you want to. Sure. Just their story made sense. Yeah. Everyone got a really solid arc. And there was a, they did a really good job of making sure that even if you were, even if you guessed it, and we did, we got a lot of this show right. Yes, we did. Even if you guessed it, it was still rewarding. Those of you who listened to our middle of the week cast, uh, we, we got even a few more things that we hadn't thought through uh, in our discussions, but once we discussed the Pedipedia, we even called that the White Knight was the thing that changed the Seventh Cavalry's plans. Like they were asking, yeah. they were aiming for presidency, and then you know uh, the the uh, wife of Judd says, um, "Yeah, uh, presidency suddenly seems small after something big happened." And I was like, "I bet it was the White Knight. I bet they saw what Cal did." That new scope emerged, you know. Yeah, and they also, I mean, we had somebody write in Kendrick that said. You know, I think that I think that's where the revelation happened. That 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 Watchmen, or that Doctor Manhattan, I mean, was here. Oh yeah, and it nailed it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I I don't think I'd heard that. That's great. 
Yeah. So, by the way, speaking of, there's so many characters to go through and things to talk about. I, I mm-hmm. feel a little frazzled because there's just so much. I almost want to review every episode again now that I've seen the ending. Um, which, oh, of course, may be a thing I do. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but this, uh, first off, Judd, our, our, our character that, that was our comedian for this season. He's our story point that propelled the story forward. Mm-hmm. Um, the initial catalyst. I thought we were going to get something to change up his story a little bit, something to redeem him. We did not. It turns out nope. he was just a secret racist, fully part of Cyclops, along with his wife. And even even his relationship with Angela, that seems so um, genuine, was all to get close to her so he could get to Manhattan. Yeah. Which kind of makes the coke at the table make more sense. Y- yeah. I agree. To me, it does. Like, if you're trying to dissemble like that, you it, it makes you nervous and it's exhausting to to put on a show like that. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, it makes more sense that he'd have to have a couple drinks and some drugs involved to 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 be able to put on that face. And he did. He put on a really good face. Yeah, especially you know, Angela and Cal seem to be really good people. And uh, if you're wronging those people and you get so close to them. I, I recently yeah. wrote a song for the Star Trek Universe podcast, and uh, the the hook of the song is "It's hard to hate your enemy when you let them get so close." Sure. And like, I think that's true of Judd. Like, he hates he hates black people. He's a racist, but maybe there was something genuine in his affection for Angela toward the end. You know, maybe that's why we saw that. Maybe it was because maybe there was something there. I just want I want there to have been something there because that part was played so well. But he was. He was there to betray her. He was uh, maybe if the story had played out, he might have done something. Ostensibly, that was his goal. Yeah, yeah. And even the uh, ridiculous Keen Junior speech at the end. um, I say ridiculous, but some people would hear that speech and think, "Oh yeah, fuck yeah." Um, Right. His his general mission statement of like it's getting harder to be a white dude because you know all this stuff's going on and we've had to apologize for the color of our skin and blah 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 and it's it's the kind of thing where like i i understand because i've seen it in my own life i understand how people get behind that thinking but the kind of person who believes that as a philosophy is also in my life the kind of person who also believes that they're not racist but also will call some people the n-word and then when they're interacting with somebody else like you just had a perfectly normal like oh they're not one of them like this Hmm. this weird exceptionary clause where some people are just off the hook for no good reason or what to me seems like no good reason. Just uh, like, oh, he's, but he's nice. Like, well, but it's, you don't see that as a flaw in your whole racist ideology? Yeah. That, You're not allowing it to change your views. You're just making exceptions. And I mean, yes. to its credit, uh, to that to that logic's credit, which is not, not to say much, but, uh, you know, sometimes it takes interactions with people, uh, pe- people that you hate. Uh, oh, it to, helps, yeah. To, to take those bricks apart one at a time, especially if you've been raised in a racist ideology. I and you were, were both from Alabama. Um, yeah. And, no, uh, I, but I've seen this ideology funneled into like, well, they're the exception. Oh yeah. For and I've sure. seen it get funneled into the, the, the point where there's so many exceptions. I'm like, why is that not the new rule? <laughs> like yeah. the exception pool is bigger than the, the not exception pool in your head. What, what? Yeah. Well, and the goal, the hope, hope is that sometimes these people, We'll, we'll realize the flaw in their logic and we'll come to terms with the fact that their logic makes no sense. That people are yeah. not um, one way uh, contingent of their character, you know? It's, it's, yeah. 
judge them by the content of their character and everyone this show did a uh to the to the end that it was achieving that goal this show did a really good job of making sure that yeah we're gonna call you out on that yeah we're we're not gonna let you sit on your heels on that argument you're gonna have to explain yourself well and the 7k itself ends up not really being uh they weren't the final villain which no i was glad when it I came down glad. to it. Yeah, exactly. They they were completely impotent, and they weren't really ever a threat. They were harangued by a greater force. Yeah. Uh, in that interview with Lindelof that I just read, uh, someone, mm-hmm. he says, yeah, they haven't done anything threatening really since, like, episode two. And then someone points out, well, in episode six, they come in with shotguns to take out Wade, and he's like, yeah, and they all die by his hand, like... Six men with shotguns couldn't take Wade out. Like they're 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 impotent, you know. They're terrible. They're all henchmen yeah. in the worst sense. Yeah. Um, so really, what the story comes down to in the end, I mean, that the, they're they're nothing more than a pawn in this game that True is playing. Um, and what do you think of how it all shook out, um, Lady True, uh, getting her chance to? become Manhattan and then being brought down by uh, Vite, who believed that she would become evil. Do you believe that Lady True would have become evil? Completely. Yeah? Because he, uh, the two major philosophical points he hits are uh, the old phrase about anyone who wants that much power shouldn't be allowed to have it. Right, but what, about, what does that say about Angela? Oh, see, that's the thing. Yeah. It, yeah. She's the opposite here, and that's I think that's there for a reason. Yeah, I do too. And the same way John was. John didn't ask for this. No, well, though that's the problem. Though. That's the problem with Angela, is she didn't ask for it. But she was not. See, when I when I had the idea weeks ago that she would get his powers, mm-hmm. I thought that it was going to be. Well, I guess it was last week. It was the week they talked about the egg. Um, it was in the egg conversation. Thought it was going to be yeah. a situation where she needed the powers to accomplish something immediate. You know, like she needed to stop the 7K or she needed to stop Lady True. So she's immediately doing the egg to to save the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But it turns out, no, it's just her experimenting to see if she can get John's powers, which is a lot more like what, you know, Lady True's doing. There was no there was no like imminent danger. She just goes out there and tries the egg, which to me, that's her. Maybe she feels a little more justified that because John trusted her with the egg. That's to me the exception to the to that. Like when when True wants the powers, and by the way, I love that of all people, Vite's the one who calls her a narcissist and then says takes one to no one. Oh yeah, I loved it. Uh, I mean, that was on point. Um, it on top of that, the fact that it's it's kind of left. To her discretion, like he didn't just—he didn't leave her a path. Even he didn't guide her to it. I mean, he—I guess he did, but he, he took the horse to water, but he covered up the water. You know, she had to think about what he had said, and all—you uh, know—this season's worth of metaphors and glances at what his master plan might have been. And then even then, we're still talking about somebody who, within the last—I'm going to go with 12 hours because it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's dawn when she hits that pool. And it's nighttime before, I mean, 12, right. 13, 14 hours maybe, um, between her killing her husband, or the shell of him, to revive her 
lover from kind of all this time in both personalities and then having both of them die in front of her like she's going through some shit yeah and for sure to me partly the idea that she's just going through so much that there's also this uh there is a male female kind of ideology to what I'm, I'm i'm seeing there like that there is an egg and that he can inject himself into a certain thing we're also dealing with like an episode where we we see sperm stolen and injected like the idea that you can seed a person played heavily for me and the fact that they go back and and he insists that he can use substances to transfer his genetic material like it, he uses the blood of uh you know uh, Keynes Jr to reach outside of his cage like something that true didn't foresee mm. and and get into his thing like the idea that he can seed himself that way um it seems like they played that up so heavy yeah it would be really hard to to not think that a she was supposed to have maybe gone this way to begin with and like to me for sure if i had to bet money right now she's gotten some version of his powers or at least a connection to him but it it also i i can't overlook the the fact that they were leading us this way the entire time and the fact that she was kind of unwittingly like he even tells her uh, don't be by the, by the blue light it's dangerous so, and she stays anyway season two opens yeah. <laughs> she's by the pool make your bet what happens? Does she float, or does she does she walk, or does she sink? She falls through, and it's a red herring. Oh yeah, that's my bet. Uh, my bet is a little more a little more complicated. I agree, she falls through, and then a lot of things happen in season two to make you forget about it. But then at some point, she's in duress, and she has to, and she like uses the powers unwittingly, kind of like he did. That's fair. That would be a really fun way to tell the story. No, you're right. There's just, there's some good clues there. Like she wasn't uh, stepping out of the pool was clearly not life or death. She planned that. Extent. Like even pulls up her uh, her pant legs. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Could be that simple. Doesn't get unlocked immediately. I also I also wonder because it's Doctor Manhattan after all. Um, he has assembled himself before. Oh yeah, I thought about that too. He could be back. He he gave her part of the energy, but. I have no reason to believe he couldn't assemble himself again because his energies just got dispersed into the universe. Yeah, I and totally it's not agree. Not the first time. Uh, well, that's the thing is, um, he said to Vite the third time I think in this continuity. The Vite, Vite, Vite tried to kill him at the end of Watchmen, the comic, mm-hmm. and he says, uh, you know, you, you, you the, the world's smartest man is no larger threat to me uh, than the world's smartest termite. In this case, this is another world's smartest woman thinking she has the the goods to take him down and uh we'll see if she does you know he seemed to think she did too though is the only problem i know but i'll i'll give him this um if we can go to the actors for a second i forget his name sorry black manna is how i think of him (laughs) but there's a lot of this background kind of radiation to so to speak about uh how much did he see True's plan coming? Because he he outplanned her to the nth degree. I mean, she it it was it was still true. Twenty five years later, it it still meant nothing to him. It was over. And I I mean, he's he still beat her even after all that all that planning and all that blah blah blah. But I can't tell if he was actually fearful 
or if that actor is just that damn good that I felt like he was fearful. Hmm. Uh, you you mean the actor was fearful? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I don't know if Manhattan was actually experiencing fear. Like, he wanted her to be near. Hmm. And I, I couldn't tell if it was planned or if it was just... Because it, there's also an ongoing theme about how... Uh, when's the last time you experienced fear? And I actually expect them to, to you know, give a nod to that. But I wonder if that was kind of what they were doing with that actor's performance. Was... Yeah, I mean, it's been... How many years now? But he's afraid. He so, does seem very afraid. And, man. Like, there's water in those eyes. Those moments are so touching. Uh, when he experiences every moment they were together. Mm-hmm. Right before he dies. Oh, so good. It reminded me of something, though, a lot of people think is the... To, to her end, like, maybe you can't remember it all at once, but your body remembers. There's a neurological theory that your body remembers more than you remember. So even if you don't, you can kind of experience things to that extent. Now, And I liked to think watching it that they both were just in different ways. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if we should go character by character. Or we should go through the story here. There's just so much. Like, I, I feel like one, this one, you know, one hour podcast isn't even going to be enough, uh, to, to cover this, uh, reasonably because there's just so much, so much goodness in here. Um, the, I love the entire first 20 minutes of this episode being the chronological story of Vite and how he came to be where he is was wonderful. Answered so many questions. It answered a lot. Um, and I wasn't disappointed. No, me neither. Not in one of the answers. The only the only thing I was disappointed in is that I don't feel like we got a satisfying answer for the uh, horseshoe. But other than that, <laughs> everything else seems really legit. I love that the game warden. Um, we, we 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 talked a lot about who gave the game warden these rules. Like, where did these rules come from? We talked thought it might be Manhattan um, or True, but uh, turns out it's Vite himself. Gave the game warden these things so that he would have a nemesis to mm-hmm. fight against, to keep him safe. Because masks make men cruel. Oh man, he that that line, and he's like, "Masks makes men masks make men cruel," and I needed a worthy adversary. Was I? Oh. Was I, master? Was I a worthy adversary? Yeah. No. <laughs> and then he dies That's... with the worst look on his face. He dies with this horrified look and. I had to console myself with the idea that your brain stays alive for a second, even after it doesn't seem like it, and that maybe he heard, but you put on a good show. <laughs> the only thing he was going to get, his exit strategy was, or it was, it was bleak. Well, and what I loved about that, and you, but you put on a hell of a show, is this was the play. This isn't the pl- at the beginning of the thing he has them put on a play, but I think in that mm-hmm. first year he's there, he realizes having them put on plays is not going to be not going to get him through eight years, and so no. he needs to be he needs to be more a part of it. And in that second year, when he burns them alive to create real emotions within them, he's like just mm-hmm. trying to do anything to elicit a reaction that will get him. Uh, a reaction that will cause him to i don't know hold on to his sanity oh exactly he, he was he was in the gambler's paradox i don't know how you survive that except to create a problem for yourself to solve especially for somebody like him who is i mean iq is to to a large extent problem solving capacity um i mean 
a lot of arguments about how IQ is misjudged and all that, but that's the idea of it is that it's problem solving capacity in a general capacity. So it there's we're we're talking about theoretically the smartest man in the world being put in a situation where he has nothing to confront. I mean he yeah. he would devolve in, in a matter of months almost. But he he lasted eight years and made himself healthy by giving himself an adversary. That was really clever and I loved that part was cool. Loved that a lot. He gave himself a goal, he gave himself a problem, and he had something to work against, and that was worth it. Oh, by the way, I loved the payoff because I kept they kept focusing on this statue. And I kept wondering, what the hell are they doing here? And yeah. um, and sure enough it was it was like his uh carbonite problem, you know? Yeah. We we talked about that on a previous episode, right? Yeah. That yeah. it was possibly actually him in there. Yeah. And I loved oh, it. Um, loved it so much. Let me give you a little bit of uh, feedback on oh, yeah. the uh, on the Europa problem. We'll call it. Oh sure. Um, I'm just going to read a couple sentences verbatim. This is from uh, Terry Russo. Um, so Europa, to, in her version, is uh, yes, it's an Eden allegory, but void. Uh, but Vite is Satan. Yes, the tomato is the fruit of the tree of knowledge. The the that Vite. <laughs> That white is the end game warden. Uh, the game warden is Adam, but the the, the first man made by uh, God Manhattan. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Uh, Voight finds them flawed. He is angry that God made them with no free will, no knowledge of good and evil. They exist only as caretakers for the world Manhattan made. So, uh, and I, what I thought was cool was the Adam and Eve servants have dominion over this world and all it is, all that's in it. Uh, they follow his law blindly, not from choice. But Voight's in the, uh, Voight and the tomatoes thing on the the first episode is one thing, but when they're smashing the tomato in his face, it's the tree of knowledge over and over again. Yeah. And the fact that they have the concept of right and wrong, and that is why Voight has a tear in his eye, is because. Uh, I think I originally theorized that he has poison, poisoned this environment. And I don't think that played out. I think I was wrong on that. I, I, I think it had more to do with his narcissism than it had anything to do with him actually learning a fucking lesson. Oh, I don't think he learned <laughs> anything. <laughs> Nothing. I, I actually, and I thought this when I was watching it, and I was confirmed. We, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, oh, by the way, thanks for that feedback. I, I love that. They're taking the the tree of knowledge and smashing it back on Voight's face, uh, Voight's face. and But they can't actually give it back. That was uh, one of the things that I actually enjoyed about that. Like, I, I thought, oh, okay, that's a really cool take. Like, even if that's not what they were drawing from, that's a really cool takeaway from it. I think um, the the tr- the knowledge the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a great point. I, I was actually convinced in the middle of this um, week, or was it last week? I don't think we talked about it on the cast. Maybe we did. Maybe we did. Uh, was that I was kind of convinced that Manhattan had put his power in those tomatoes. <laughs> because I, I, there's two times he bites you see them in his mouth and he spits them out both times oh yeah and my what i thought would have been really uh uh ironic is if it turns out that would have given him the power of manhattan the whole time and it's just like hanging out there it just reminds me a lot of the story of eden with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and I guess that's still possible. We never actually saw him eat the tomatoes. We know the game warden apparently ate the tomatoes. No, he, I mean, he, he does. He keeps spitting it out over and over. And um, I think you mentioned that. Like, maybe that's the power of Manhattan that he's just refusing to accept over and over again. But I think 
I, I think we both missed it. I think we were both coming up with a way that Vite learned a lesson, and I think we were both wrong. He yeah. just didn't fucking learn a lesson. No. He's didn't just the same fucking narcissist, narcissist he was to begin with. And I think his destruction of True and his refusal to admit even the possibility that she could have done good things with the powers is just part of his narcissism. I, I think he's right about her narcissism, but I don't think it's like a lesson. I well, no, I agree. I got, I got to tell you, though, in the interview, I, in the interview today, Lindelof said that he doesn't think uh, True would have done bad with the power necessarily. Not Which necessarily. She, he, he, it just, it, I forget exactly the, I should have written it down. Um, the, there's in that interview that he gave, he like basically says that the, like his decision to, Vite's decision to stop True says nothing about True and only says stuff about Vite. It's Vite deciding that no, he knows what he would be with those powers. And he, he's so narcissistic, he can't believe anyone else would be good with those powers. So he kills her because of what he would have done with those powers. Uh, and I, I, I think that's totally solid. And oh, like, completely. Completely. I mean, it's literally his spawn. Yeah, maybe true. Like, can you imagine any other show where, like, someone murders their own daughter and somehow at the end we're still kind of rooting for him. He's so fucking charismatic. <laughs> yeah i know and i loved um the entire scene where he goes he gets teleported back to karnak and runs around you know turn this down to 22 degrees do this do this he starts explaining his plan and he's it'll be like shooting a gatlin gun at the whatever uh he's talking about all this stuff it's it was so doctor who (laughs) it was it was he's running around in his little karnak tardis and and just doing his shit man it's so doctor yeah Absolutely. Uh, Doctor Who is a morally gray narcissist who does what he has to do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, he's one of those people that's like, thank God he's on our side morally because this would get bad. Yeah. And sometimes he makes morally questionable decisions. So that that entire thing just reminded me a lot of Doctor Who. And I was like, man, Jeremy Irons would be a great Doctor Who. (laughs) Oh, he'd be fantastic. Um God, he would be, oh God, he'd be a blessing. It was, it was a blessing to have him perform this role, frankly. He, oh, for he, sure. I mean, for, for a cast that needed no elevation, he managed anyway. Uh, yeah, for sure. Genuinely think every time he was on screen, it was just, what the fuck are we doing here? I don't even care. Yeah. His entire backstory, crazy, as I said at the beginning, is it, I loved beyond inseminating herself. It was just, it that just, was amazing. It was just so Watchmen when she like, puts her legs up and just leans back and inseminates herself oh, yeah. right at the leans desk. back and looked at his most prized possession and just yep. says no go fuck yourself oh wait you don't have to i got this covered and i love 22 year old lady true appealing to his narcissism at the door he's like i don't let fans in and then she's like uh no you can't use the phone <laughs> and then she's like yeah. no wait i i know what you did and i i think it was great and that gets her in the door. I think door. that was genuine in a way, though. I think so, too. Like, I think that was the closest they ever got to a mother, uh, I'm sorry, a father-daughter bonding moment right then. I think there's one other spot, and I think it's when he calls her daughter. All right, yeah, that w- that was good. But also, and she laid out the seeds for her own destruction in this way. Because even if Manhattan was just doing this for self-preservation purposes or just to make sure, and the best I can come up with is that he had a backup plan in... in uh, 
Do you mean Vite, by the way? No, I mean Manhattan. Oh, okay. Good. His backup plan being that egg, that maybe he could transfer his abilities that way. And him knowing that the end was nigh in so many ways, as Vite went to so much trouble to point out, and him throwing a fucking Hail Mary by sending Vite back and counting on both the fact that he knew True... Uh, to be the kind of individual who would go through with this plan, you know, he, could, he could see it. And the fact that he knew Vite to be the kind of person who, once he was in this cage, would act a certain way, he, he, it seems like he might have played their narcissism against each other. And when she really sowed the destructions of her... Uh, by the way, I love the scene where she's looking at her hand. But when, when, she, when she's truly fucked is the first time she calls him out on... Yeah, but that was a rerun. Yeah. I I don't think he recovers from that insult. Mm, I, I think you're right. Stings. They just both play each other. I have narcissistic tendencies. That stung me. <laughs> just watching it, I was like, oh, fuck that. I would never forget that shit. They play on each other's narcissism so well, and they both do it to each other. And, and the, mm-hmm. the daughter scene, to me, is the same thing as her knocking on the door asking to be let in and then having to compliment him on the the knowledge of of 11 2 that she has um i think it's yeah. the same moment in reverse when when he when she he says he'll never call her daughter and then calls her daughter it, it, it takes the time to spell out daughter in bodies and she's like well it was it meant a lot <laughs> yeah so she she spins a sends a spaceship for that for that reason she wanted to see him supplicated to her will yeah also, she tells him the exact satellite time that'll be over Europa. I just loved all that, man. I loved all the timing stuff, all the all the little things they did to make all this make sense. Oh yeah, and, it, and the and by the time they were done, the backstory is phenomenal. Yeah, for sure. And she is sample two, three, four, six. <laughs> I love that he calls her that. And not only he says he'll never call her daughter, but he calls her sample. Two, all right, sample two, three, four, six. Yeah. <laughs> And when the scene was happening, I kind of memorized the the numbers just long enough that I was like, that's going to come up later. And then when it came up, I forgot it again. It was great. It was great. Um, by the way, in the in the scene where he is sitting, giving himself a birthday cake, you know, little sticks. They're no longer candles. They're little sticks. Yeah. And it appears that no one's bringing him a birthday cake this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that birthday cake, cake made of shit? Oh, I was I was gonna go with dirt. Mm. He had been digging a tunnel. That's true. It looked like shit to me. I it could be. This show is not above it. No, for surely not. Uh, but I I like that. Could have just been a mud cake. Mud cake makes sense too. I I I was just thinking him stuck in that I mean, cell. Which you're right. He's been digging for a year. I would say there were there were common fart references in the last like three episodes. Entirely possible, but I think he's been building that tunnel for a minute and that's hopefully what that was from yeah i hope so because it looked like shit uh it, yeah, also in that in the back probably the last thing in the background scenes and that is he does the fucking bullet catch oh god yes that was straight out of watch and as comic. soon as as soon as uh adam one i'll call him was drawing his beat on him i was like oh yeah man this is i know where this ends and when he pulled his hand up <laughs> yes Thank God we finally get the fastest man alive again. Yeah. And can I tell you the point where that disconnected for me? What's that? Looking glass smacking on the back of the head with a giant crescent wrench. 
Uh, yeah, he did not see that coming. He didn't, and, I mean, being able to catch a bullet and having that reflex time is, I guess, one skill set, but the way I would justify it is, like, there's no way he couldn't take Laurie Blake and Looking Glass, or Wade. Um, yeah, I, I thought the same there's thing. There's no way he couldn't take him. He's taking them both at that different, or, well, sorry, he's never faced Wade before, but Wade's probably moderately above skill levels. Well, we know he I mean, took out he, he six took out men a, with shotguns last episode, so like he did. And that's uh, not nothing, but facing not nothing, but yeah, Ozzy. You'd think you'd think Ozzy could have taken him down. Uh, he gets the drop on him is all you can really say. He's distracted by his own uh, hubris. Anger. Yeah, his hubris and his anger, and he thinks he's gonna speech his way out of being taken in. Yeah, and then conk. Uh, yeah. And given that speech, I loved two things. I loved one how fucking tired ozzy is of hearing that over and over again you did blah 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 you were the unilaterally the death of three million blah 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 you know what even 25 years later i think i would get tired of it too yeah yeah man it it feels like a broken record at some point you're like look i i i know i was there too what do you think about Lori's decision to change her mind and to report him I wonder if she ever really changed her mind or if she just now, for the first time ever, had her leverage. Yeah. Well, the the, the one piece of leverage she definitely had, which um, the, my first thought in all of this was uh, the reason Rorschach couldn't do it is because Manhattan, Manhattan. killed him. And now yeah. Manhattan is no longer there to stop anyone from doing it. Um, there's so no there's longer that. that thing, that specter hanging behind him. But she says... People change. I've changed, and yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I see how she uh, changed enough to do that. But I don't completely buy it for her. I. I mean, I for a lot of reasons. One, I think she still has the heart for vigilantes. That uh, when she says in this episode, like I'm the FBI's, you know, headhunter of vigilantes. I, I felt like there was an, a masking in insincere version of that it didn't feel like that was really her in a way but it hasn't the whole time like she's she clearly has a love for, for vigilantes that can only have come firsthand i mean yeah. it, she doesn't have any kind of fan adoration she just genuinely loves some of these people and the idea that she can completely turn on them and she has no like philosophical turn there's no ideological like she didn't just become a communist after you know heading a ceo company in the united states for a while she just she, she just went a slightly different way but it was a it was a very different way and it was a violently different way like she's getting people arrested meanwhile yeah. the entire time her owl still in his cage also so do you I, know about her getting i don't know if you've read how much of the pdpedia you have read yet uh there's scanned. a uh, there is a interview in like whatever I don't know year two thousand or something between her and the FBI when they've captured her for being a vigilante, and she basically uses her knowledge of eleven two. She says, "Tell your boss's 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 boss that I know what really happened on eleven two. Yeah, 
and uh, and 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 get me out of these chains. And so they send it up the ladder to Redford himself, and Redford says, "Okay, you have leverage. We we're not going to arrest you." And that's how she gets a job in the FBI. Basically, is like using her leverage of her knowledge that Redford knows, but none of the underlings do. Yeah, and her position now is there's a lot you could do with the season two with her where she is now. Oh, for sure, like, man. One of the last things she does is she arrests uh, Ozzy for his crimes. Now that she finally has proof and looking glass is there helpfully to be like, no, seriously, I have physical proof. I'm, you're done, man. Um, and then to assist in the actual arrest. Um, only thing is I kind of wish there had been a fight, but I guess it would have been a letdown in the sense of everything we'd just seen. Yeah, I think that it was such a denouement that I think we didn't need another fight. It it made sense to wrap it up quickly. Um, really, there yeah, weren't like, many fights in this. There was uh, not not, not fit, really. I mean, there was no. Not, I don't think a punch was thrown or a even a gunshot th- discharged this episode. In the sense that the giant true machine was, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was all all of our normal pedestrian weapons bowed to the godlike mythology that was playing out before us you know yeah exactly it's so beautiful so i do think like laurie could come back and you know she also says that he he kind of calls her like what are you gonna do arrest redford too maybe um yeah she says why not where she yeah where i wouldn't mind a version where she arrests him too and then when someone calls knocking at her door and saying like yeah you were an accomplice and be like okay cool and just put her hands behind her back yeah that's true you got me I slept on this for forever. Something that blew my mind. Something that we didn't see coming at all. And we even discussed it and never saw it coming. Did not at all see it coming. Uh, Wade hiding out among the 7K. Oh, it was good. We I discussed, kept hoping he made it out. Well, we, we, we knew he made it out, as far as we could tell. And we even knew a mask was missing. You remember PD says in that uh, two episodes ago, uh, yeah, six men were dead. Five of them wearing Rorschachs. Oh, he said they're all wearing Rorschachs. Actually, no. One of them. One of them is not. And right. should have. That was such an easy call to be like, oh, surely he infiltrated the yeah. team. And I didn't. I didn't see it coming at all. And when she says, completely agree. I'm sure other people beat us to that one. Yeah. When she says mirror guy, <laughs> and he says it's looking glass. <laughs> I <kinda> loved it. <laughs> you know when he heard his voice because he's got a oh, very yeah. distinctive voice. But oh yeah. I just loved. I, I just loved that she called him mirror guy. I love that after all that, after her being uh, tied to a chair to watch the end of the world, and he he being the fucking Joker card, the 53rd out of 52 cards just hops up out of nowhere and says, like, just stay quiet, I got your back. And she's like, still dismissive of him. Yep, that's so Lori Blake. Kind of thought, yeah, that makes sense. That's yep. what the comedian's daughter would do for sure. <laughs> yeah. This all tracks. By the way, you know where uh, that final fight scene happens is in Decatur, Georgia. Um, I noticed it because one of the venues in the background, or one of the one of the places oh, yeah, in the background, you told me about that. is Mac McGee's, that, where that where yeah. that true booth is, uh, where they can you can call Doctor Manhattan or whatever, is in Decatur, Georgia. And now that I know it's where the final battle happens, I'm absolutely going over there, and I've got to get some like pictures with, with like that square. Definitely, yeah. That, that I'm going Absolutely. over there. Absolutely, I, I go. I play in Atlanta all the time. I'm totally gonna go see this spot and be like, oh, I'm there. Hop up there. Lady Little True was right here. Um. Okay. Let's see. Um. 
I got a few. I got a lot of other things I had. I've written a lot of great lines. I loved you look stupid in these pan in those panties. That was great. That was great. And they were exactly the shape of some of the original yep. uh, frames. Uh, yep. Some of uh, the what Doctor Manhattan wore in the comics uh, originally. Yeah. That's that's great. Um, he, he says, "Let's get blue," and then the seven K erupts into the rebel yell. Do you are you are you aware of the rebel yell? I mean, you're from Alabama, but I actually never heard of it until more recently. Um, the thing they do at the uh, end, yeah, that's ringing a bell. But go for it. Where, well, rebel yell is, is is a thing you hear in like country songs and shit. But like the thing they do, it, it sounds like hyenas. Is what it sounds like to me. They go like like, and if you watch a lot of old like Civil Miss uses it. What now? I want to say Ole Miss uses it. Maybe I think they're like they're somehow confederate related on the their whatever well they uh, were like uh, they were well, they they changed their mascot they were the Ole Miss rebels and now they're the Ole Miss black bears i think okay well stuck. apparently in the con- in the uh in the civil war conf- the confederate soldiers did something called the rebel yell and it basically just made it was to just it was it was the classic like confuse your enemies tactic of having like a really crazy yell as you're running into battle um, but ah, it was it yes. was like this hyena sound, and so when he says "Let's get blue," all the seven K members do the rebel yell in the background, and I thought that was a that was a, a nice touch uh, from That's from a, nice a catch. real world perspective uh, and who they lost, who they kind of represent. I lost a wrestling match that way one time. Like, oh yeah, yeah. We were squared up. You know, you're on your feet to, to start the match. Squared up. You usually have one foot forward. You know. Um, and we started doing the squaring up thing. And then as the guy was counting down three, two, one, blah, blah, blah. Um, the guy starts snarling at me like, mm. like that thing. And I was just kind of looking at the ref like, is that, a, is he okay? Is that, a, can, can you do that? I'm confused. What's happening right now? And then suddenly smack. And I was just staring at the boards of, above me, like staring at the gymnasium ceiling. And I was like, cool. Pin me. I don't want anything to do with this dude. <laughs> I'm funny. done. That you no no, it, it, that's great. <laughs> I walked away and said, "Like that dude needs help." <laughs> <laughs> I have never been in a physical competition, so I've never had anyone give me the chance uh, <laughs> to be scared uh, by their re- the, you know their. Uh, I wasn't even scared. I was so confused. I was like, yeah. I just went out. I just yeah. went out. I'm good. No, I would be scared. Sounds awful. I mean, I had, I've, I, I had, you know, actually, weirdly, uh, of all the sizes, the other people didn't scare me. There was one guy on my team that did scare me. It was like, I don't trust that guy. He, he's not okay. Yeah. Like, like he's, he's built like a pit bull, and he could snap my neck if he wanted to, and I think he might because I don't, I don't trust him. That sounds scary. <laughs> it, it was they, they paired me up with him a couple of times, and the entire time, all I did was defend my head. Yeesh. Like, that was it. I just didn't want him to have my head in his hands. <laughs> um, that's 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 crazy. Interesting. I did not know you were a wrestler. In, in early in high school. Past. Neat. Yeah. I was forced to go to wrestling camp once because I got arrested. And my friend's dad, who I got arrested <laughs> with, was the wrestling coach. And the RD was not lost on the judge, apparently. Uh, no, it wasn't a judge. I got arrested uh, for, like, some stupid... We, we had a... Uh, what was it called? We had a curfew in my hometown. Oh, of course. And I got caught out after curfew. I literally was just walking to the store. And it was like 5 in the morning. So I just assumed curfew was over. It's the morning to me. (laughs) And I was walking to the store. And I got pulled over. And they're like, it's after curfew. I was like, it's the morning. And they were like, nope, you're you're going downtown. 
and uh, they took me downtown. The desk is breaking. It's crazy. On his hair. I'm yeah, thinking. like the this, this sun is practically about to be up. Like, just what? What are you doing? Anyway, they they took us in, and me and my friend that my friend that I got arrested with was uh, his dad was the wrestling coach. So mm. uh, his dad made it forced us to go to wrestling camp, and my mom was very on board with that, uh, and she just thought it was funny that I was had to go to wrestling camp. Um, I mean. That- it is a pretty funny place to have to send somebody. Yeah, it was not. That's the only wrestling I've ever done. After the the main event, after the uh, the squid have been uh, weaponized. Yeah. Which, by the way, we, we have a full explanation for the squid, which I was super happy with. Yeah, that was cool. Um, we we have all that, uh, you know, complete with looking glass being able to be on the inside and see. For someone who was studying it early on in the series. For him to get the full explanation now was very satisfying for me. Yeah, me too. I loved it. The fact that they use them, uh, the fact that that makes sense metaphorically for the song we used at the end, all that is really cool. But one of the things I really enjoyed was after the squid rain, the the finally deadly squid rain. You notice the uh, the vigilantes didn't have any masks on anymore. You mean the cops? No, the vigilantes. Oh. Interesting. I didn't actually see the cops. That's all I saw was like Red Scare walking around with no mask and uh, what's her name that was oh. in the, the Archie vehicle that Judd. Yeah, Pirate Jenny. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I, I guess they, I guess he did have his mask off, didn't he? No masks. Fuck huh. it. Interesting. I, New era. I wonder how much they knew what was going on because they the masks are uh, all part of King's I think they plan. Were. Well, they were, but I think they were all just taken. I say that because it was also um, that song uh, is also always indicative of like, oh, this is great. But if you're any kind of uh, director, you always put that song juxtaposed to something terrible. And in this case, they they bring you a terrible version of that song, like one that uh, the mix of that song kind of is always using dissonant notes and keeping you uh, slightly on like uh, unresolved notes. Hmm. And I didn't take that that way. But really, doesn't it doesn't actually pay off bad? Like, if this was an episode of Buffy and uh, Buffy and you play, played that song, and then you focused on any one person, I'm like, oh yeah, he's gonna die. Huh? See, no, that's not how I took that. I thought actually, I actually thought that song sounded pretty, and that it was actually saying, "Oh, what a beautiful morning." And also, did you notice the big Easter egg when that song came on? What? In the background, right as that song swells in, Angela is walking with her children in her arms, and behind her, the theater, the Dreamland Theater behind her is Oklahoma. And yeah, well, the Dreamland Theater is on. The lights, you know, above the Dreamland Theater, all of them are out, but three, and it's the D R and M. So it's Doctor M. Is 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 all that's left of the Dreamland Theater. Um, and I think that was. I noticed lights were out, but it didn't put together until you just said it. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. What I what I what I think that what I took that to mean was that this worked out the way that Doctor Manhattan wanted it to, and that oh, oh what a beautiful morning is, you know that we've been through this terrible night, and Doctor Manhattan, it, it, this 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 the evening has been graced by what Doctor Manhattan sacrificed and did. But it's also the it's like the singing in the rain. Uh, clockwork orange effect like when you hear a song in certain cap in certain capacities if you hear a song that's too cheerful 
Sure. It's about to go sideways. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why. I guess I just didn't hear that in this. Uh, when, when I heard that song, because she had survived with her children and they were and they were walking away from the theater and the the danger was over i thought it was just kind of ironically using oklahoma because of the prevalence of oklahoma in this in this theater. which by the way i forget even what it's i need to go back because the the actual story of oklahoma the play ties into all this stuff too if you go and I have like no idea i don't and know and i was it a high school well. theater nerd i have no idea we never touched that one yeah i can't even remember i just remember when the first episode came out somebody did a big uh deep dive on one of the uh, like articles I read where they were talking about you know Oklahoma and what it means and what the plot means and how it could tie into this plot I fully believe that it's related and they chose it for a reason yeah I mean I'm I'm sure that that was even tied into the fact that they used the Oklahoma uh, massacre uh, the Tulsa massacre for this yeah, oh for sure I mean I think the use of Oklahoma and the fact that the this all happens in Oklahoma is definitely, uh, definitely a tie-in. Um, okay. Uh, spe- well done. S- speaking of uh, sacrificial imagery, um, cr- right before she dies, True gets a hole driven through her wrist by a raining down of an icy squid. Stigmata. Yeah, stigmata. Crucifixion. <laughs> yeah, like that was uh, to me. That was a cru- some sort of crucifixion imagery. I don't see why they would tie that to Lady True. She's not intentionally sacrificing herself for sure. Um, the only thing I can imagine is Christ came to save the people and then they killed him. And, <laughs> uh, and then that happened to her. In a, in a real way and not in a way that she chose or that she like, she's not up there voluntarily. Uh, but she, that made me think, what if they really did, what if she really was genuine? What if this whole thing that, uh, Vite killing her was all, you know, not, not good. Like the, the, the whole stopping her, they basically stopped her from saving the world is if you look at it through that context, if lady true was real and genuine and really going to do what was best. And even in the end of this, uh, William said, you know, given all the power he had, he really could have done more. Uh, yeah. What if true would have been done that? What if true would have been that person who did more? And the entire climax of this story is all of our protagonists stopping her from saving the world. <laughs> Entirely possible. I, I, that stigmata, that stigmata moment made me think that immediately. Ugh. I also think that it's something that would have occurred to her in the moment because uh, yeah. she saw herself that way. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also think that the, there's the tie-in of the eggs being important the entire time. Oh, uh, for sure. Even the fact that Will comes to offer to help clean up with her and she refuses. Uh, I, I don't think for a second that you know, given everything I've seen, like the the Manhattan didn't kind of maybe tell Will that I left her an Easter egg. Yeah, maybe. And if she chooses to unravel it of her own volition, let her have it. But I mean, he says like you have to break some eggs to make an omelet and all that. What he says there specifically, which which I found interesting, was um, the, the 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 phrase I've always heard: "You can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs." That's that's the phrase I've always heard. My that's entire the life. classic phrase. Yeah, he says you can't make an omelet without breaking a couple of eggs. 
<laughs> which I know it's a small f- difference, but made me a couple is specifically two. It's specifically two, which made and me think: what if there's another egg? What if there's another egg or another thing she has to do before before she attains the power? Or what if there's another person with a, an egg out there who he gave power to? Um, there's apparently some supposition, and and I, in in the interview, Lindelof said. This is not something they intended, but he likes the speculation. And if someone wanted to play with it in a future season, they could. Um, uh, the idea that William is 105 years old, and how is he so spry for 105? Is it possible that when Manhattan visited him... He gave him something. He gave him a little power to help him last till when he would be needed. Uh, entirely possible, but... And I like it. I like it as a theory. Yeah. In which case, what if he's, what if we're not done with William at all? Like, it seems like William's pretty old and going to be, his storyline's pretty wrapped up. But if he has the power of Manhattan, who knows where I don't where think we're done with him. If the, if the show continues, at least we're going to get him in flashbacks. We, we've, the show's definitely yeah, shown no, they can do flashbacks well. But I also, when, you know, if you point out the actual terminology, you're right. He says a couple of eggs, and the two eggs that are the most important eggs in this entire thing are the one Manhattan drinks in the bar and the one she drinks before she hits that bowl. Those are two eggs. Those are two eggs. Everything else was just an egg. Yeah. Mm. Uh, let's see. I think that Wade is a walking thermodynamic miracle. <laughs> uh, that was in my notes here. Uh, I like your take and he is he is also literally a a guy who like he's called himself looking glass and you remember the machine she was going to use involved mirrors she somehow his mythology and the fact that she was going to use mirrors in her device Mm. I I don't think that symbology is unrelated yeah maybe maybe you're right yeah I can see that Uh, there's also the fact that he records squid falls so when yeah. in the moment that he's needed to know that, he says, when was he's the last squid fall in Tulsa? Point. He's like three weeks. Two like, weeks ago. Immediately. Three weeks or whatever. Says three yeah. weeks. It's, it's, he's also uh, in the right place, the right time to save Lori, even though he had no idea she'd be there. Um, he happens to have the evidence to bring down Vite uh, at the end. He's like, oh, yeah, I have that evidence because I was just there and I just happened to pick up the evidence I wanted. And mm-hmm. and he uh, he can fly Archie in a, in the end when they need him to fly Archie. Uh, he's just like he has tons of little things where Wade is just running through the story. Uh, there's often the joke about like plot armor or something, but like he just has like tons of great little thermodynamic miracles happening all around Wade. Well, they when people use the phrase plot armor and shit like that, they often are saying like, ah, oh, it's just too crazy that this person was in the right spot of threat. They downplayed his story so much that when he does it in this, in, like in that context that you're saying, it's so subtle that I'm rooting for it. Yeah, I agree. Like it's he's subtle. a child of destiny of some kind that I'm, I'm, man, well played. If that's if that was the plan well, the entire time, I love Wade. I really love Wade, and I loved that he had so much of an impact on the story in the end. Made it a lot oh, of fun. God for damn, me. doesn't he grow on you? Yeah, oh, I liked him from the beginning. Um, I didn't know what to think of him for about most of the first episode, and I didn't know what I was getting into with him. Yeah, that that may be, but I I I just I like the actor. I like um, his brashness. Oh, yeah. I like his his sense of humor is really great. 
Um, really touching moment in the theater at the end. William talking about, you know, I sat in this exact spot a hundred years ago. That and, piano she was playing burned, all that. Yeah, and then he, and then he, he, he tells Angela, you took my pills? She says, yeah. He's like, so you so you know all the things I was feeling when I was when I was uh, hooded justice. And she's like, anger. And he's like, that's what I thought too, but it wasn't. It was fear and hurt. You can't yep. heal under a mask, Angela. Wounds need air. Yes. Mm. And just really good. I, you know, a couple minutes before that on screen, I saw Red Scare and uh, I still can't remember her name. Pirate Jenny. Pirate Jenny. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that. Which is a song, by the way, uh, of course, by, oh gosh, who is it by? It's another, like, Josh. <laughs> Dude, Josh researched every freaking proper name in this entire thing to find out who who was real, who wasn't, all that kind of stuff. It's, oh, Pirate, Pirate uh, Jenny is a song by Nina Simone. Ah. Yeah. So much, man. It's just so much. I, I like, I want to read the lyrics just because I'm, yeah. <laughs> it, I'm sure, I'm sure there's stuff in that's important. Speaking of songs, my favorite of all time covered in this episode. Yeah. I am the fucking walrus. I am the walrus, which it almost felt like they had designed this season around making those lyrics make sense. Finally. Absolutely. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that song. You were telling me about it earlier. A little bit uh that song up, and its explanation i had to look up who covered it because i i'd never heard it it was uh apparently a british band named spooky tooth this is from newsweek british band called spooky tooth uh released three years after uh, little, little, uh so they released it in 1970 on their album last puff and it made it to number 38 in the charts. And I'm assuming, I, I don't even know where to assume those charts happened because it was a band from the Netherlands. And Okay. I don't, I don't know which chart we're, we're dealing yeah, with but here. You were telling me about the meaning of those lyrics. You were going to tell me, tell us about uh, the original oh, yeah. original meaning of those lyrics or like why he, why John Lennon wrote those lyrics. Yeah. Uh, all right. So John Lennon. Uh, there are a couple stories about how and why and Lennon, like so many of the Beatles songs, uh, Paul and George have all done this and Bob Dylan especially have all done this where like there was an original story and the stories uh, changed a little bit but the version of the story of how those lyrics came about that and I am most uh, I don't know, most likely to accept is there was literally in the parlor of John's house he had a typewriter and he just had a blank piece of paper in the typewriter. And it was around the time that he was really starting to experiment, uh, to experiment with LSD. And he would just kind of go into the, like, a couple weekends in a row. I think it was in a row, but a, a couple weekends with no directive in mind. He kind of went into the parlor and typed up some lyrics and just kind of moved on. And then he, he came back and he, ty- you know, kind of typed up another verse and just, or, uh, and, you know, just wasn't really paying attention to what happened. So he's also, uh, Lennon was also a, a child who was uh, heavily mocked. I mean, his, his literally his uh, primary school teacher told him, I'm saying primary school, but I forget what they called it in, uh, in English, <laughs> in the English educational system. But uh, what for us is a high school uh, teacher um, told him, 
you'll never amount to anything. And I'm paraphrasing. He he said like, uh, well, he actually pulled him out in the middle of a hallway at some point, pinned him against the wall physically, and said, "What do you want to do with your life?" And Lennon, without thinking, said, "I want to be a rock and roll star." And he just derided him for it. But those that same educational system was the one that once the Beatles started getting popular and accepted, those same primary school teachers were starting to to use Beatles lyrics to talk about refrain, rhythm, and verse, and and uh, timing, and like the A B rhyming. Sp- patterns and all this other stuff like some they could relate you know because we all love this and these are things and he resented it because that system had had kicked him out so he literally uh, rephrased some of these lyrics brought it in and right before a recording session where they already been kind of working on the music for it the dun, 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 uh he before he went to record his lyrics he's uh and i don't know if it's apocryphal or not but he's Listed as saying, let the fuckers sort that's out, this out. <laughs> he went in intentionally trying to be uh, completely obtuse. Right. Which is why I think and it's he came beautiful up that in this show, it, they almost seem to have uh, explained the, or like given the song meaning that it never had before by writing a story that had, uses a lot of the elements of the song. It still doesn't completely hang together, but no, no, no. you take little phrases from it and they've clearly been planning for this song for some time and it makes me so happy yeah uh and it also uh the 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 idea of let's see the fuckers figure this one out um is funny in a lindelof show oh absolutely because it's so much about let's figure this show out with this mystery um and uh, yeah, it's great. It's really, really oh, beautifully done. The meta of that is fantastic. I'm, I'm, all right, let me give you a couple in in lyric things real quick. Okay, yeah. I'm here as you are, he is you are me, and all that. We are well, all clearly. together. There, there's all of that in, in the whole egg thing and who's what and what's who and where is Dr. Manhattan right now. Right. Uh, that's, see how they run like pigs from a gun, see how they fly, blah, blah, blah. See how they fly is clearly there. Like That's a phrase that for me hits very close I'm like, oh yeah. yeah i know i know that phrase um it, uh, maybe man you've been a naughty boy you let your face grow long i feel like that has something to do with adrian in a way yeah like, it feels like they weren't trying to make the whole song make sense no because no, no 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 you can't but they were taking some imagery from it and and it seems like it sticks in this capacity yeah, I'm the Eggman. They are the Eggman. I'm the Walrus. Cuckoo, 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 whatever you want to say. Um, city policemen sitting, pretty policemen in a row. Uh, see how they fly at Lucy in the sky again. Uh, bite. See how they run. Um, there's really nothing to do with the yellow meta custard, except for yellow phrase. being a major theme in the show. Yellow was a major theme. Uh, yellow meta custard. Oh, being the uh, being a dessert. Maybe that was it. Um, Again, I feel like it's so wild we can just make it make sense. Yeah. Uh, here's my favorite. Sitting in an English garden waiting for the sun. Yellow. God. Manhattan. If the sun don't come, you get to 10 from standing in the English rain. Also, sitting in an English garden kind of rem- waiting on something reminds me of what Vite is doing. That's literally what True is doing. And then she yeah, gets her 10 from standing in the fucking English rain. Yeah. It's... It's rain that makes the whole thing fucking end. Um, oh, yeah. I'm the Eggman. How do you do, sir? They're the Eggman. Uh, the man maintains a fortune. Like, there's a lot of... There was a... 
a background thing happening where I think it was in uh, I think it was in a, a production of King Lear that was a live production. They recorded simultaneous to when John was mixing the actual tapes. He recorded that along with the mixing of those tapes, and he did that on purpose. He was trying to make it a truly unique recording you cannot reproduce the fact that was happening as a live performance and would theoretically never been recorded at least never been recorded in secondhand and the fact that he mixed it into the original tapes it's done it's over with that's the that's the tape now and (laughs) the fact that like they use that and one of my favorite parts is like you, you if you remember the fade out of I'm the Walrus and there's all kinds of like uh, roller coasterish orchestration for uh, for how they did that um, at, like they literally told one section of the orchestra to go from the lowest note to the highest and the highest note to the lowest and they just played them against each other and they get to the end and one of the last phrases you hear is the uh, Shakespearean reproduction of somebody saying a surface a serviceable villain love that part yeah it's neat it's really neat yeah that's it's it's just cool it's cool that they that that plays such a role in the show kind of and that the show gives it context that it didn't have before love that by the way i just looked up the lyrics to pirate jenny by nina simone let me just read you one quick lyric of a it looks like maybe the chorus there's a ship the black freighter turns around in the harbor shooting guns in her bow so, uh, and the ship, the black freighter runs a flag up its mast and cheer, cheer rings in the air. Uh, so yeah, the black freighter, damn. the name of the book, uh, in of Watchmen, the comic book in Watchmen is, uh, is what is, is, is referenced or, you know, or the black freighter is, a, is, is also being referenced by the Watchmen, which is super fun, man. That's awesome. So much, so much. It's actually my favorite part of the uh, the references to the song. Don't you think the Joker laughs at you? Yeah, might be like the line to me that would would have given me the idea to put that song in the Watchmen universe. Mm. Yeah, it's a good. The comedian's presence is heavy this entire time for someone we never saw. For sure. Oh, by the way, did you in the Pedipedia? It is revealed that after. Uh, we, we talked about it last week, but you were not here. Uh, mm-hmm. After the um, events of 1985, uh, she goes on, Lori goes on to take the name, not just Lori Blake, but she takes the name The Comedian as her moniker. Yeah, The Comedian with Ian and E. I don't know. We talked about that somewhere. The Comedian. Okay. I did I did not know that. I, I'd only, I only know the original... Watchman comic. I don't know if she did that in another comic somewhere. No, that was from the Pedipedia. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't think we had talked about that. Cool. <laughs> we have somewhere. Yeah. Hopefully, it just wasn't private. I think we actually talked about that out loud, though. <laughs> um, so uh, I loved. I really love the ending for William in this. When uh, Angela says, "We have a guest room. You can come home and stay if you want." just for a few nights, but you get the sense that maybe it won't just be for a few nights. And it just meant, meant a lot to me because, uh, this whole story, the beginning of it is his, he's, he's the son of Krypton, his world, the 1921 black Tulsa being completely destroyed. And at the the very end of the story, he gets to come home. Yeah. That was a really meaningful ending. Yeah. That was, and him of all people being the one who, 
after all of this, is the one who gets to tell someone who might be either in a position to do something greater by herself or in in a position to do something greater as possibly, you know, uh, the next Dr. Manhattan. Uh, And he's the one who gets to tell her privately he was a good man, but he could have done more. Yeah. And doesn't seem too resentful about it, just he could have done more. Mm Mm-hmm. The really um, good tact. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you think, uh, in many ways, I feel like this story undoes everything the original Watchmen did? Um, uh, parts of it, yeah. In that uh, it ends on a happy note, in many ways. Like, there is no, the secret is um, revealed, uh, probably to the world. Vite is brought down. Um, Manhattan is destroyed. Uh, in, in many ways, I feel like this is kind of undoes a lot of the work that Watchmen did. Uh, the whole like moral ambiguity angle. It seems like they actually kind of have good guys at the end of the story. So it, it ended in a very different place. I feel like than uh, the original Watchmen ended. What do you to think about extent. that? But I don't think there's a character here that doesn't get grayed by the events of it. I mean, everybody here is a killer. Sure. Um, minimally. And if Except we're talking for Lady about True. The, mm, yes who, and no. Who is she killed? Um, well, I see. Manhattan. Yes no. Never mind. She yes, she has. She killed Manhattan. I, I'm sitting here like, well, I was like, except for her up until the end of, end of the story, then she kills Manhattan. Uh, and that's clearly I mean, bad. even if you're, I was thinking about like innocent pedestrians. Like if, if you're, Thinking, yeah, she just killed Manhattan. She was also going to probably disrupt several city blocks. Mm, we I, don't know that. I all we know, her. all we know, is she was about to get the powers of Manhattan and destroy the nuclear arsenal. That was, that was her plan. So now, Vite, he well, he tells her stay out of the way of the blue, the blue beam. Yeah, well, that's the but the, but she does, and that's just very localized to the little cage. Could be. If nothing else, she cloned a person and then killed her personality. She overwrote her personality, her mother-daughter. She overwrites the personality. Uh, but other than that, she, she mostly just kills Manhattan, and you could say that she believes that killing Manhattan is the right thing to do because uh, he isn't using his powers the way they could she be might. used to save the world. She might, but it's a Vite gene. And Vite originally didn't think that Manhattan was using his powers imaginatively enough. And I use imaginatively in particular. Yeah, Um, that's true. That's kind of the whole theme is they all think if you are a walking god, you should be doing something different. And the entire point of the Watchmen series, if you've read the book and then watched this series, seems to be, yeah, enjoy that. Your wax wings are uh, getting a little bit leaky. Yeah. Hmm. Well... Guys, I guess that's 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 our that's our podcast for tonight for the week. Uh, for, uh, probably our last podcast for Watchmen, at least for a while. Anything you want to uh, shout out to everybody, uh, Jason, for them to go follow or follow up on? I mean, if I was picking at random, I'd say this podcast called DC on Screen. Yeah, just pick the, pick one at random. I like that. It's just something that showed up on my feed. Um, it's a couple <laughs> of uh, decent people who uh, follow all of the DC properties on screen uh, in as much as one humanly can at this point. 
Yeah. And uh, they, they talk about them specifically. They do reviews. They do news. They do uh, whatever else they can possibly fit into the schedule of doing these things. And uh, I would like to say they do a decent job, but I'm not qualified to because I've never listened to a single fucking episode. <laughs> uh, well, I have, and I am qualified to say, and I, yeah, I like, I like the the DC on screen podcast is real good. You guys go check it out. Um, and if you are uh, looking for something a little more Marvel flavored, uh, I do the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast with my buddy Jeff, uh, and we have been doing it for almost six years now and it's uh we we covered everything in the marvel cinematic universe um including all the tv shows that seem like they might be becoming uncanonized uh uh, but we're (laughs) really excited actually because we're moving into a a phase where marvel studios has taken over the production of the television side uh with all these disney plus series and so we're about to get a uh universe that is more connected than we've ever had before so we're so pretty no pumped more about runaways. That. Runaways is canceled. Yeah, it, uh, the last ten episodes dropped three days ago. Yeah, and Shield was canceled long before that. And yeah. Runaways, I, th- I think, is the last thing. Uh, Shield Shield has one more season to air, but it's already it's already been uh, uh, produced. So sweet. Uh, yeah. So anyway, we're covering all that over on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. So go check that out. Uh, biggest thing, uh, big even bigger than that though, we're doing the Star Trek Universe podcast right now, and that is. Uh, in full swing, I'm writing songs every week for that. Baby Yoda, ba- that start that oh, Star Wars. Sorry, you said Star Trek. I'm sorry. Star Wars. Uh, you had me on Disney. I was uh, thinking as soon as you said Disney Plus, I was like Baby Yoda. That's invaded my brain. In 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 our network, there is actually the Star Wars Universe podcast as well. We we just launched with Matthew West Fox, who does the Superhero Ethics podcast. He's doing that yes. right now. But you know, just to try to send you guys to one place and not fifteen places. Uh, we're uh, we we're over at the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, DC on Screen podcast. Uh, go check those two out, and uh, we'll hopefully be back. If if we end up dropping something else, me or Jason end up hosting any other podcasts, we will drop something in this feed. And who knows? I really wouldn't mind doing some rewatches of these episodes. So uh, you might end up Not with something else in this feed. Minimally, Dave and I will be covering it because it's the finale of a show, and we cover finales of all the shows. Oh yeah, the DC on screen shows. Uh, yeah, this is oh, this is a kind of a DC property now. So I mean, uh, yeah. that'll be cool. It's well, I, it's still I, there. I think me and I think Josh wants to guest on some more episodes too, and we're we're both so obsessed with Watchmen right now that we'll I'll probably have him on to do some weird recap cast or something in the in the in the intervening time till we find out if we're getting to season two um we uh i also might try to talk you into a doomsday clock uh situation at some point what is that Please uh doomsday clock is the actual dc comics published version of the after events but it incorporates the rest of the dc universe oh that's right okay sorry didn't didn't remember what it's called but yeah following the button okay cool uh yeah i'd be interested if it's worth it uh i'm not yeah we'll yeah, it's jeff john's writing uh, i don't know much his stuff you do i probably do i, I promise you do i'm not a bunch of a reader um <laughs> <laughs> he's literally the creative officer of dc yeah i started taking adderall this week and i'm becoming more of a reader oh yeah. yeah, that will do it. Yeah, I can, I can read now and actually focus on and read more than one page at a time. It, it feels good. It feels good. <laughs> that, is, that is really nice. I apparently have ADHD. Who knew? Yeah. Um, so that's that's exciting. And Adderall times. 
Uh, okay. Well, guys, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, that is all from the Who Watched the Watchmen podcast. Well, hopefully we'll have something else in this feed soon to either let you know what else we're doing or to bring you some more just Watchmen fun if we feel like it. So, uh, yeah. Hopefully at some point a giant announcement from Lindelof that season two is happening. Yeah. I would really like it if Lindelof came back and was our uh, protagonist or, and was our showrunner again not protagonist he's kind of always the antagonist in a way <laughs> man i was thinking i was looking at his uh, filmography and he's only done three television series and all three in my mind are seminal works uh, lost of course which you know it, it has its issues people have their problems with it but it's a great show you know it's really well done there's some really great stuff in there um some really groundbreaking stuff in there and then he did leftovers same thing really great lots not not nearly the following that lost had but uh and then now Watchmen. well respected Watchmen. i think maybe the best show i've ever seen so i think i'm just now fully in camp lindelof i'm i'm on board man i want to know what he does next and i'm gonna watch it fair enough all right, guys. We'll be back soon, uh, or we won't. We're not sure. We'll let you know something. S- s- keep your ears to the feed. We'll be back with something. All right. Peace. And remember, we're not locked in here with you. You're also in a synthetic lithium cage that took a ridiculous amount of overused batteries to build <laughs> with you. Oh, by the way, uh, I'm in a different studio today, and we don't have the music, so this will have to be our outro music.